The Athletic. Tony Football Show, European edition. Today, Captain America and the Chelsea X-Men. Bayern top dogs with new K9 while Union celebrate their Bering streak. Really uh, are have Bellingham propelling them. Monaco are in pole position and hello Spalletti. And goodbye, Mr. Magara. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show. Twenty-second of August. What a time to be alive! We're bringing you another extra special international edition of the Euro Show in our Bologna office. It's James Horncastle. <laughs> Ciao, tutti. Yeah. In our Tel Aviv bureau, Raphael Honigstein. <laughs> Shalom. <laughs> <laughs> and here at base, Alvaro Romeo. Hola, hola. And oh my word, Julian Arons. Bonjour. Bonjour. Good eye, mate. Good eye. Good eye. Jules, when did you get back from Oz? Uh, last week, Wednesday. Oh. Yeah, after three weeks. After three weeks. It was really cool, I have to yeah. say. The World Cup was great. Inspirational. Inspirational. The Australian people, I love you. You have a great country. It was great. All right. We'll be hearing more hot takes from Jules. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You're throughout welcome. the show. Throughout <laughs> the show. Speaking of Australia, Alvaro. What a weekend. Yeah. What a Congratulations. Weekend you want a kiss? Do you want yeah. a kiss? Whatever. I mean, I don't put barriers to love, but uh, yeah. I mean, Spain won it, and that will be my moment of the of the weekend, mm. of course, because you know uh, it was. Uh, I think we have we become the first country all together with Germany mm-hmm. that have won the double in men's and women's in the World Cup. So, so the second country. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. The first country. But the first. Uh, but after another one. The all first right, country in 2023. Okay. The to first country to be <laughs> simultaneously under 17, under 20, and senior. Yeah. Women's World Thank Champions. you, Jimbo. Yeah. So, uh, Germany, can they say that? Nah. Let's yeah. have yeah, a great moment of the weekend. We'll perhaps touch on that whole Rubiales, Chef's Kiffs moment uh, shortly. But uh, what other moments of the weekend have we got? Jules? I would pick uh, Thierry Henry being named the uh, front under 21 head coach. I think that's is, is quite important in his own career to start with, uh, to relaunch his managerial career. I think it's important for that team that have been underperforming for many years because of having bad head coaches, pretty much, despite having really, really good players. So good luck to him. Um, Gael Clichy is going to be his assistant, which I think is very exciting too for him. And then they have the Olympics coming up in a year and the Euros the following year. So some very exciting times ahead for Thierry. And let's see if, if Thierry can can be the, the, the great manager that we believe and he believes he can be. James, your member of the weekend. Stadio Olimpico, James, where Jose Mourinho was not around because he was uh, suspended uh, along with all of his staff uh, and two of his best players, Paolo Dybala and Lorenzo Pellegrini, for sort of uh, things that went on at the end of last season. Uh, so Bruno Conti, remember <laughs> was sort of sat in the dugout, 82 World Cup winner with Italy. And, you know, Roma took the lead with Andrea Berotti, who didn't score a single goal all of last season and has spent much of the summer on his sun lounger reading about how Roma need to sign another striker. Berotti did score, but then Antonio Candreva scored two worldies, a former Lazio player. Just unbelievable strikes. I mean, particularly the the, the second one, uh, where he takes it down with his right and curls it in with his left and just, you know, celebrates uh, in front of the curva there. Um, Just, yeah... 
to to the best goals uh, of the weekend in a goal heavy uh, weekend, um, which we'll we'll get to in the roundup. Mm, not as goal heavy as the Bundesliga, though, Raf. Which moment, though, of this extraordinary opening round of top flight action caught your eye? I think it has to be quite an unoriginal choice, James. But the magnitude of the occasion at the Weserstadion, 74th minute. Yes, he was there. He had a sniff of goal and he scored. And I was there to witness it. Harry Kane's first goal in the Bundesliga. Harry Kane. And there is Harry Kane. And there is Harry Kane. And this Harry Kane macht, wofür er eingekauft worden hat, is. Er macht das 2-0 und wie abgezockt war das? I don't think it got any bigger than this at the weekend. But as you as you said, lots of really interesting, crazy stories to talk about. This one, though, the pivotal moment. All right. The pivotal moment was really rough. Not introing my moment of the weekend with my moment of the weekend, James. Yeah, I just thought I'd mix it up this season. A new you know? season, new Rafa. Oh, so you actually prepare for the show this season? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I've prepared a new intro. <laughs> I like Tel Aviv Raf. It's fresh perspective on things. Well, I, for one, want to hear more about this Harry Kane fellow. So let's start with the Bundesliga. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Friday, the opening round of action in the Bundesliga and recordmeister FC Bayern, who'd been plunged into crisis seven days before in the Super Cup, plunged right back out of it, beating Werder Bremen 4-0. Kane with the assist for the opening goal and another shortly afterwards. Rafa, it just looked so right. He looked very right, even though it took some time for him and the team to really find each other. I thought in the first half, Bayern had a lot of possession. But failed really to play the right pass or his timing was a little bit off. There was sort of a adaptation process going on and you could see that it's not going to be instantly the perfect uh, harmony. But then a little bit of space opened up in the second half on Werder Bremen, who were quite defensive and quite poor, to be perfectly honest, when they opened up. And it was a wonderful pass from Alfonso Davis, who had a great game. And then it was that classic Harry Kane moment one-on-one with the keeper, took his time, waited for the keeper to make a move and then really cool finish. And on the whole, you know, with this assist added to it uh, very early on that gave Bayern the lead and really made their life much easier. It was kind of the perfect, perfect debut after all the build-up and after, as you said, that negativity after the um, the Super Cup where he came on and really probably shouldn't have played. Uh, looked very tired, looked out of sorts. Still not... I think 100%. He went down with cramp uh, 10 minutes before time. But very encouraging for Bayern and very daunting for the competition that even sort of a half, half-baked Kane-Bayern combination can be as effective. Mm. They look pretty in sync, though. I mean, nice as the goal was, that assist for Leroy Sané, that, that kind of instinctive flick, was, was remarkable for two players who'd not really had much time together. Matty Haynes asking, is Leroy Sané capable of having the same relationship with Harry Kane as the Englishman did with Youngmin's son at Spurs? Yeah, that would be nice. That'd be great if that was were to happen. Uh, Leroy Sané played well, scored two goals. Kingsley Coleman, I thought, was actually Bayern's best player. He was, he was absolutely outstanding on the left. And Thomas Tuchel was very effusive and he said some very interesting things after the game. He said, Kane made all the Bayern plays better by drawing attention to him. Um, he talked about all the attacking players. 
And he also had this fantastic impact on the training ground, uh, being always happy to train, having great sort of charisma and, and leadership. And, you know, for a team, as we said many times last year on the pod, who sort of seemed to lack a little bit of confidence, a little bit of leadership, a little bit of personality, I think he is so important already beyond the goals, beyond the assists, just by being this big player who just is happy, who is happy with himself. He, he radiates uh, quality and, and confidence and that swagger that uh, Bayern really have needed quite desperately. And yeah, hugely encouraging signs. Still some issues, of course. But yeah, for a team that, as you said, was in crisis, even though it was perhaps an inverted comma crisis, it was as good as it really gets on an opening day of the season. Mm, magnificent fourth goal from Matthias Tell as well. Elsewhere, Leipzig, uh, the team who'd laid down a marker supposedly by beating Bayern in that Super Cup game the week before, uh, they lost 3-2 at uh, Xavi Alonso's Bayer Leverkusen. Yeah, this was probably the biggest game of the, of the week. Two teams that are seen as contenders to, to push Bayern, if not all the way, they're at least uh, quite close. And... It was going to be a statement of whoever whoever would win to really underline their credentials. And it was very open, lots of great goals. Danny almost scored again after his hat-trick. But ultimately, Leverkusen came out on top because they had Florian Wirtz playing the goal. His third goal was a bit fluky. He hit himself, basically, and then the ball bounced over um, Blaswich in goal. But still, uh, the kind of game, high-quality game, the kind of high-quality win that uh, will pe- will make people feel a lot better about this, or even better, I should say, about this uh, Xabi Alonso team who have been tipped as one of these sides to watch. Very entertaining, really good quality, good depth in the side as well. I think they're going to be a really fun team to follow this year. OK, Dortmund, who, of course, were narrowly pipped by Bayern for the title last year. They had a 1-0 win against Cologne. A Dortmund overpowering Cologne. That could be your... Headline there. Uh, but let's hear about Union Berlin, who picked up where they left off last year, a 4-1 victory over Mites. And uh, Kevin Behrens there with the hat-trick. Yes, and the first one came after 50 seconds to um, yeah, really give Union liftoff. Kevin Behrens, uh, one of those uh, unsung heroes in the side, uh, played very much second fiddle to Geraldo Becker and might still play second fiddle to the likes of Kevin Folland this season. But... Given a chance again, he scored a hat-trick. All of them uh, headed goals, which is something that we haven't seen in the Bundesliga since uh, 1997, I believe. And because we don't have many German strikers scoring goals, uh, there were even some people linking him with uh, a call-up to the national team after the game. Uh, perhaps slightly premature, but I think the biggest story of this game, in a way, was Union, who many people, including me, have tipped to perhaps have a more difficult season with the Champions League coming and that ongoing transformation to go from sort of underdogs to uh, buying slightly more seasoned players. There's talk of Leonardo Bonucci coming this week as well. While at the same time not giving up all the unique qualities that made them successful in the first place, you know, that very direct style, um, picking players that perhaps been overlooked elsewhere, that togetherness that they have. And I thought it's going to be a very difficult balancing act for Urs Fischer, the coach, to pull off. But on the evidence of this win against Mainz, maybe 
they can exceed expectations for a fifth time running, mm-hmm. um, not just in, in the Champions League, which is going to be amazing for them to be there, but even domestically. Just love the fact that Baron scored a hat trick of headers. I think he's pretty special. Yeah, it's very really special. That, you know, I know he's been a long time in Germany. Mm. Yes, when was the last time in France, Jos? Well, in England, it was in, uh, with Salomon Rondon. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. about five, six years ago. All yeah, right. Yeah, it's really rare. It's cool. And Ludovic Ajorc, who missed two penalties in the same game. That's pretty rare, too. Mm. That, that's never happened in the history of the Bundesliga. <laughs> same player missing two penalties in the same 90 minutes. Good Lord. Good Lord. Whitaker Walt was asking about the keys to Union Berlin's unexpected success. You have kind of listed them a bit there, Rafa, but he, Whitaker also says, or Walt, uh, for all the gang, are there any Union Berlins out there among the newly promoted clubs in the leagues you follow? Alvaro? Yes, I would say that maybe Granada. Maybe Granada for, mm-hmm. the, for the way they got promoted last season. I mean, they were clearly the best team in the Spanish second division. And they got a player like Jose Callejón that I really want to see how he features as a right-back or a inverted wing-back because he's quite old, but at the same time, I think like he has been a little bit underrated in Spanish football. Okay. James? Well, historically, you would say Kievo, mm. probably. Uh, but Kievo don't really exist anymore. Um, and the team that did as well as Kievo in terms of points recently was Monza, but Monza were backed by Silvio Berlusconi's money, which uh, Union Berlin Not quite the Italian have, so Union Berlin. really the same thing. Mm. <laughs> Getting a no from both of you, really, at this point. Jules, anyone in France? Maybe Clermont. Clermont. I mean, Clermont is Berlin. Clermont is not Berlin. But, no. um, but in terms of the, the spirit, the kind of... It's a... It's a family club. They, they do things in their own budget. You know, they, they try to be clever in who they signed. They have a bit of a direct style of play, although Gastien, the, the coach, also likes nice, nice football and to play nice football. But they, they certainly overachieved in the, in the season where they were in Ligue 1 for the first time in their history. Very nice. Oh, Pippa McCulloch also asked Rafa for your thoughts on Endo to Liverpool. What can he bring to Klopp's side? I see that his old team did all right without him this weekend. Yeah, they did really well without him. They beat... Fafa Bochum 5-0 to take over the lead of the Bundesliga in the first game. Of course, Bochum maybe with a claim to being the worst team in the Bundesliga, so it should be taken with a a degree of uh, of caution. But Endo will, will bring a lot to Liverpool. A uh, great character, a great person. Uh, the pe- people I spoke to Stuttgart were raving about him as a human being, how nice he is, how genuine he is. Speaks good English. But of course, also brings a lot to the table as far as his footballing qualities are concerned, great at winning the ball back, very smart in his decision-making, great energy, never gets injured. You know, out of the last um, 102 games, he played 99, and the three he missed was one with suspension, one with COVID, and one with concussion. So super dependable, super pro. And yeah, I think many people in a way expected a bigger club to sign him because he was too good for the Stuttgart team but they weren't perhaps prepared for the big club to be quite as big as Liverpool and that's going to be very interesting to see if he can make that huge step up you know to playing against relegation with Stuttgart where he excelled to playing for the top four and playing uh, in Europe under, under Klopp so yeah great great player great signing Perhaps not quite as sexy as some of the other midfielders that were mentioned, but I think you should give them a lot. Excellent. Uh, next up, listener, we're off to Syria. 
The Premier League is back and the Athletic Football Podcast is your essential football companion this season. Whether it's dissecting Chelsea's astronomical spending, assessing Spurs in a post-Harry Kane era, or the growing impact of Saudi Arabia's riches, we'll be there four days a week this season as we get to the heart of the biggest stories. Join me, Ayo Akinwalere, and the Athletics' esteemed roster of writers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the usual podcast spaces. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. This is The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Lots of clubs happy with their new signings this weekend. Bayern with Harry Kane, Real Madrid. More wonders from Jude Bellingham. How are they feeling in Milan about Christian Pulisic? Well, here's comms on Monday night's game at Bologna. Christian Pulisic, ecco il capitano della USA National Team che avanza. Eccolo Capitano America che dà la palla, si chiude il triangolo fra lui e Giro. Ed è Christian Pulisic che segna un meraviglioso 2-0. USA, 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 USA. Ecco Captain America, cracking opening round. And the uh, final game was Milan's 2-0 win at Bologna. The second goal coming there from Pulisic after he was involved in the build-up for the first one from another of his former Chelsea, well, of the coterie of former Chelsea players, Olivier Giroud. A Loftus-Cheek also in the mix there. Uh, There there were big wins for all sorts of clubs. But let's start with Milan because you were at this game, James. I was. I got to have a chat with uh, Christian in the... uh, Porter cabin outside the Renato Dallada after the game, just as he was going to go and hop on the train back. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, he called it the perfect night for him. I couldn't have wished for it to go any better. And yeah, I mean, it was yeah, Bologna has become quite a difficult place to go on the when Thiago Motta has been in charge. I think they had the best defense at home last year, um, along with Inter, who reached the Champions League final. So yeah, the reason why. Milan signed Pulisic was to make uh, these games easier and to give them uh, a bit more incisiveness, score goals. Uh, and, you know, not only he did, did he get uh, the second, but his involvement in the first one was also really important. So, yeah, it was good. I mean, Jerry Cardinale, um, Milan's owner, flew out special uh, to see the first game of the season as well and you know, I think particularly in the first half Milan were good second half faded uh, became quite a 
loose and open game in which Bologna could maybe have got back into it. But yeah, I, I would say aside from, you know, Candreva's goals for Salernitana and uh, that Sortea goal for Atalanta against Sassuolo, um, yeah, Pulisic was, was right up there. And uh, you know this phrase, James, a great kind of uh, biglietto di visita. Yeah. Sort of, uh, that's my calling card, guys. Nice. Um, so. Arijit asks, based on early impressions, which Serie A team had the best transfer window? And do you foresee any major deals happening in the last week involving the top teams? I, I ask that now because a lot of people might say Milan at this point. Yeah, although there's quite a lot of scepticism because um, you know they have signed players who, for the most part, um, do not play in Italy, so they're outside of this loop that happens where you know Serie A teams just recycle players between themselves. So you know they look at Noah Okafor uh, from Salzburg and they're like, who is this guy? Because they've already forgotten. You know he was very good for Switzerland against Italy in the World Cup qualifiers. Chukweze, for example, Alvaro, we were talking about him last week, really exciting player, but again, comes from Villarreal, not from a Sassuolo or something like that. And so, yeah, I mean, the kind of Americana that is very, uh, still very popular in Italy means that there's a lot of focus on Pulisic. But yeah, Milan's transfer window has been good. I mean, they've completely overhauled the midfield and the attack. Um, but we have to see, you know, over the longer term. The other team I think that has done well in the transfer market is Atalanta. Atalanta, after selling Hoyland, um, <laughs> their forward line looks really exciting. And one of the stories storylines of the weekend was Charles de Ketteler, who Milan signed for 36 million euro only a year ago, um, who flopped um, at San Siro. Um, um, you know, didn't score a single goal uh, in Serie A last season, scores on his debut. Uh, for the Bergamaschi. So I think there's a there's a feeling that Atlanta are the right club for him and that some of the other deals that they've done are, are, are pretty good. Mm. All right. They had a 2-0 victory against Sassuolo. Milan were 2-0 winners. Inter beat Monza 2-0. Both goals there from Lautaro Martinez. There was a big win for Napoli, 3-1 at Frosinone. The brace from uh, Victor Osimhen. Juve looked uh, revitalised. 3-0 winners at Udinese with Chiesa and Vlajevic, both on the score sheet. The bigger scoreline of... And mm, Rabiot. And Rabiot. Sorry, Jules, you're absolutely right. Uh, Fiorentina, 4-1 winners at Genoa. Ande Itoralde says, uh, are Fiorentina this season's most significant dark horse in Serie A? Is there a world in which they could contend for the last Champions League spot? Oh, I, I think they could. Um, you know, in terms of dark horse, I mean... They're not really a revelation anymore because first season on the Italiano, they were the most improved team in the league in terms of points difference from the year before. Last year, they obviously reached two cup finals, Coppa Italia final uh, and Conference League final. I think they'll look to try and win something this year. Um, they play Rapid Vienna in a Conference League playoff on Thursday night. So that's the first step um, to doing that. But, uh, you know, it's still quite a big leap um, to, to, to get into top four. Uh, but they've made some good signings as well. And at the moment, they've kept Sofian Amrabat, who wasn't in the squad uh, for the 4-1 the win against Genoa in Genoa, where they were 3-0 up at halftime. They've kept Nico Gonzalez, even though Brentford have made an offer for him. And uh, Artur, Artur Mello, who only played 13 minutes for Liverpool all last season, has, has kind of become a bit of a running joke for his part in that swap deal with Barcelona and Miralem Pjanic. Played 90 minutes 
and sort of played actually pretty well. Uh, it wasn't the, the man of the match, that was Giacomo Bonaventura. But, and Fiorentina also have this kid who's come through their academy called Cayode, um, who started, who was a surprise starter, and he was part of the uh, Italy under-19 team that won the Euros. He scored the winning goal in the final. And there's quite a lot of excitement around him as well. So, you know, Fiorentina, Fiorentina looked good. Um, so, but it, and I've got this impression just from watching the games this weekend is that there is a real gap between the top seven and the rest uh, in in the league. You know, in terms of quality, the only shock I would say this weekend, aside from Salernitana getting a draw at the Olimpico, which they did last year, was Lazio losing in Lecce, which they also did last year. But um, as for the rest, it looked fairly easy for them. Um, All right. So, yeah. But Juventus, James. Juventus. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't want to meet them down the alley on a, uh, on a dark night. They were sparring for a fight. They looked, uh, they looked fierce. Um, it was kind of like, okay, you've, you've taken our 10 points away last year. You've taken Champions League football away. You've taken all of European football away. Well, two middle figures to that were coming for you. And uh, they, in the first half in particular... Um, yeah, I mean, they, they ran over an Udinese side, which this time last year um, were really, really good. And they're really physical as well, Udinese. And it didn't matter at all. So seeing Chiesa play off Vlajevic, seeing Vlajevic um, score as well and sort of celebrate with the ultras, who again were, were making chance for the club not to sign Lukaku and to keep Vlajevic. And then Vlajevic posts on the Instagram a, a photo of him with the ultras saying, you... Um, you know, I think, um, yeah, it was it was impressive, not just for the mentality, but also Allegri, who, um, you know, has been accused of playing antiquated football, which uh, has a place in the 1980s, but not in 2023. Instead, uh, in this game, pressed high, fullbacks were coming into midfield, um, just good, really good. So, um, you know, Juventus, now that can only focus on the league, James, mm. People saying, okay, you know, maybe maybe this is the year they come back. Maybe so. Maybe so. Since our last show, James, great news. Luciano Spalletti confirmed as Italy manager. Spalletti's start will come away to North Macedonia on the 9th of September. Then they're, they're home to Ukraine uh, a couple of days after at San Siro. North Macedonia, the, the team that beat Italy in the playoff semifinals and stopped them going to the World Cup. So, I mean... A lot of Italians are haunted by that and certainly the, the prospect of that being one of your first games um, is, uh, is nervy. Um, so, you know, Spalletti deserves the job. He obviously went on this sabbatical with, um, from Napoli who kind of unilaterally extended his contract. Um, and so he's been being paid by Napoli and it looks like the Italian Football Federation didn't pay the clause to get him out of it. So that's between Spalletti and, and Napoli to, to still resolve. Um, you know, Spalletti wanted that sabbatical because he wanted to have more time with his kids. Doing this job will still allow him that. Um, uh, but you know, it's one of those things where Spalletti's a pretty prickly character as it is. And you know, when you're a national team manager and you're only sort of Okay, you meet up with the players every month, um, sort of autumn to winter, and then you go three months without seeing them, and then you have this like ten-day, two-week period of intense scrutiny. God only knows how he's going to react uh, to to some of that, and uh, and also just like you know, I mean, 
it, it was such a high with with Napoli. You just you just you just hope that uh, this isn't a jading experience. You know, <laughs> it's not easy being the coach of the Italian national team. So, but obviously, a lot of people are very excited by it. Ninth mm. September, North Macedonia, Ukraine. Shortly after, a new managerial chapter beginning there. This weekend also saw one of the greatest ones coming to an end, though, with the passing of Carlo Mazzoni, Mr. Magara. Uh, Chris L20 says, can you convey what Carlo Mazzoni meant to Calcio fans across Italy and several managers in the Premier League as well? Uh, grazie mille in advance. James, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll do that at the end of the show uh, and sign off with a salute to Sor Carletto. Next up for us, La Liga. Hello, listeners. If you're someone who is just too busy for a regular length podcast in the morning, we have something for you. The Daily Football Briefing brings you bang up to date with the biggest football stories in just over 10 minutes. Whether it's David Ornstein on the latest big signing or Matt Slater on a takeover saga that won't go away, we'll bring you right up to speed all before you've finished your first coffee of the day. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all the usual platforms and make sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. Spain next. So much to discuss here. Let's go to our Liga correspondent, Rafael Honigstein. Rafa, what's the top story? <laughs> Don't know about the top story, but there was a wonderful clip of Malaga fans protesting the fact that their club hasn't signed anyone, turning up at the airport and just picking a random tourist and pretending that he has been signed by Malaga. And presenting him with a shirt to sign and giving him scarves and everything. It's really worth checking. All right. That's the second best uh, signing video from Spanish football this week. The Santi Cazorla Lord of the Rings extravaganza has to be seen to be believed. <laughs> that was good. And what about? It was terrible. No, it was terrible. Uh, out no, but uh, I was going to say that Santi Cazorla one, I don't rate it. It's good no. that Cazorla is back, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. But what about the video of uh, David Raya's grandfather? I don't oh. know if you have seen that one. Mm -hmm. uh, Arsenal did it, and it was very nice because uh, David Raya brought his family to Colney, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, 
es to be unveiled as an Arsenal player and his grandfather was there, uh, David Raya's grandfather and they gave him a shirt and they, Edu and Arteta took a couple of pictures of him as well as if he was becoming a new player for Arsenal. The man got very emotional and it was very nice actually. I think that it was, uh, it's worth uh, revisiting that. Oh, beautiful. That's very touching. Uh, lots of emotions in Spanish football, of course, following the uh, World Cup win at the weekend. A certain amount of controversy mm. regarding the post-game scenes and people grabbing their crotches next to the royal family <laughs> and that kind of thing, which <laughs> yeah. I personally have no problem with. Uh, but... Uh, back in La Liga, how was round two? Well, that's a very open question, but uh, I would say that, uh, number one, I'm very surprised about Rayo doing so, so well after Iraola departed, because I think that Francisco, the former Elche manager, has one of the most ungrateful jobs in Spanish football right now, which is activing Andoni Iraola, and he's doing well with Rayo having already six points. The surprise package for me is Valencia as well because they got six points too and uh, they won uh, again after beating Sevilla in the first game uh, of the season and uh, they are trying to sign as well Rafa Mir, a Sevilla striker, the one who deputizes for the City and if they manage to sign on loan Rafa Mir, it will be a very clever move by Valencia, uh, who by the way they got themselves as well Sergi Canos, a player who is trying to uh, relaunch his career after a difficult uh, 2023, uh, the former Brentford player, and uh, Real Madrid is on top of the table, mm. I think that this is very important too, uh, considering that they are playing with uh, no number 9 really, uh, Karim Benzema left and this uh, has changed many things, last season the one choose of Vinicius on Karim Benzema were um, you know, like uh, they had a nuclear impact in all the defenses of Spanish football, but now uh, that possibility doesn't exist anymore. And Jude Bellingham, a player that uh, we spoke about last week, well, scored a brace against Almeria. Vinicius scored another goal. I referred to the power that Real Madrid has in midfield this season that uh, probably is going to let them uh, run over many La Liga sides but uh, aside from that power they also have uh, tasty players like Tony Cross, uh, who is still in my opinion in his prime uh, even though he's 32 years old now or 33 and uh, Modric uh, you know if you need to resort to the man he's going to do the job of course it wasn't a perfect Real Madrid but we know that Real Madrid normally doesn't seek for perfection in this type of games just the three points and they did it so yeah those could be probably my most uh, interesting moments of the weekend uh, we'll talk about Barcelona about that, and about Atletico as well yeah Vin Vinicius with the, the third goal for Real Madrid lovely goal it was too and then afterwards adopting Bellingham's uh, paying homage to the new signing by adopting Bellingham's uh, goal celebration as well well, there is a good harmony in there. Mm. Uh, that's, uh, that's fantastic, I guess. And uh, the youth of Real Madrid is something that uh, catches my eye automatically too. I mean, they have done the proper renovation of the uh, squads that won multiple titles up to 2018. And I think that, uh, you know, many players are hungry. Nice. If it's youth you're after, though, how about Barcelona unveiling yet another teen prodigy? Who's this latest one? Lamin Jamal. I mean, we talk about the guy uh, last season. He started for Barcelona at Montjuic in the first game of Barcelona uh, in that ground. And there is a 16 years of age? Uh, yeah, and there is a shining light about this player. I think that uh, you want him to get the ball, and that is probably one of the best compliments that you can give to a player. He is a good, good dribbler. Uh, Sergio Reguilón probably knows about that, but he also crosses the ball very well, and he... Uh, 
Cross the ball a couple of times to the second post uh, really well in that game, creating really good chances, especially one cross for Pedri that Pedri actually wanted to give back to Lewandowski and that didn't work. But Yamin, uh, Yamin Lamal has something, that's for sure. And uh, he's playing ahead of Ferran Torres and Ansu Fati. Ansu Fati, three years ago, he was the biggest prodigy of Barcelona Academy for a while. Ferran Torres, uh, over 45 million pounds for his signing, uh, 18 months ago only. And uh, Lamin Yamal has taken over. I mean, he's playing the Dembélé role, more or less, obviously, with the differences. Uh, Lamin Yamal is not as, as explosive, but he's got the technique and he wants the ball all the time. And as I said before, I mean, there is like a shining light about him. It's uh, very special. Very nice. Torres did manage to get on the score sheet as Barcelona got their first goals of the season late on with a 2-0 victory over Cadiz. Uh, Sasuheno, uh, Alvaro wants to touch on that business on Sunday. Is there any news about Luis Rubiales' future? Luis Rubiales is the president of the federation who yeah. caused international controversy by grabbing Hermosa and uh, planting a full-on smackaroo on her lips. Yeah. Uh, also pictured grabbing his crotch wildly uh, although stood next to members of the Spanish royal family during the game. And uh, it, has there been a lot of, as much outrage in Spain about this as yeah. there was internationally? Yeah. yeah, the thing is that uh, maybe that was uh, cooked slowly and uh, the outrage came like three, four hours after it happened because it was when uh, people started flagging that this had happened, that it became a thing. Uh, mm. Luis Rubiales... Uh, Talk to media like uh, six hours after all that. I think like, he spoke for the first time from the airport of Doha uh, because Spain was the contingent was uh, returning to Spain. And uh, I remember that he was talking to Cadena Cope and he was saying that whoever criticized that uh, were uh, idiots, basically, were idiots. So he didn't show any remorse or any, or any apologetic uh, attitude in the first uh, six hours. But then on uh, Monday, I believe, he uploaded the video apologizing about that, but not in the right manner. He was apologizing to those who felt offended, but he didn't show, again, any type of remorse about that. I think that he, the biggest problem is that uh, Rubiales is not totally aware of what he did. He doesn't know what he did wrong, but clearly he did something wrong because he was using a position of superiority and a public scenario just to give a kiss to a player. And the player didn't react, but imagine that the player had reacted in a bad way, which mm. she had all the right to do. I mean, what would have happened? This, this uh, there was video afterwards of her saying that she didn't like it, but then the Spanish Federation put out a kind of quite an official mm. statement on her behalf, saying that she actually thought it was all fine and a good a good relationship uh, existed between her and and Rubiales. Who am I right in saying that in the locker room afterwards he said he was going to go off to Ibiza and marry her? Yeah, uh, basically he, he said that. Invited yes. the whole team. Yeah, and I I, I'm going to invite you all of you to Ibiza, and I'm breaking news. Uh, may I have your attention, please? I'm marrying Jenny Hermoso. Right. She was doing all that. She was basically uh, profiting a moment of euphoria that wasn't entirely his. Right. Uh, just to, to make some uh, comments that are utterly mm, despicable and uh, remarks that are totally unacceptable. Has the Federation always been this close to women's football in Spain? Mm. I'm thinking back to the Super Cup yeah. not long ago when none of the Federation turned up and the players had to go to a table and yeah. pick up their medals one by one without even a presentation. Yeah, that, that was ridiculous as well. That's why I don't like the total appropriation of this uh, success by some media outlets 
mm. and the patriotic appropriation of it by the Spanish FA. Because I believe that the Spanish FA hasn't always been there for the Spanish women, Spanish clubs. In fact, I give more credit, uh, if I may, to Levante for being the first club uh, who created a women's side in Spain. Athletic Club Bilbao was one of those that followed suit as well. It was very nice to see that Levante and Athletic Club Bilbao had at least uh, representatives in that squad. Ollane, for example, the Athletic Club Bilbao player. And I give also a lot of credit to this group of players because uh, 15 of them, uh, this is a story that we know about, uh, send a letter to the Spanish FA saying that they weren't happy with uh, the treatment that we're getting by Jorge Vilda, the manager. Uh, three of them came back. Imagine the squad the Spanish would have had with uh, Patrick Guijarro, for example, Mapi León, Amayur Sarriegui, Sandra Paños, the goalkeeper of Barcelona. And uh, the players just forgot about the past and they look at the future and the horizon was winning the World Cup and they did it. And I think that it was a truly remarkable achievement. All that said, I would say that Jorge Vilda also made key decisions during the tournament because he changed the goalkeeper. Uh, Catacol was the selected one for the knockout stages ahead of Misa. Uh, he used the Jenny Hermoso, the woman who received a kiss by Rubiales as a striker first, but then as a midfielder because Alexia Putellas, who is still recovering from uh, that ACL injury couldn't uh, play together with Aitana and I think that uh, you know Spanish players have been phenomenal and the success has to be especially on them Magnificent Thank you Avro. Next up Liga. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Mmm, Ligue 1. A team from the capital running away with it as ever. That's Monaco, of yes. course. Yeah. Top of the league. I know, Adi Hutter, uh, Rafa's friend, doing really, really well in those two games. Um, they were very convincing at the weekend against Strasbourg to win 3-0. They scored four goals in the first game against Clermont away, so they would be tougher opposition, of course. But with some Beignet there, who has been accused of rape and who is under investigation, still scoring goals, still playing, by the way. Uh, I guess he's still innocent until proven guilty. But we'll see what happens with that. But Minamino, remember Minamino from Liverpool? who Adi Hertha knew from when he was 19 at Salzburg, mm. is really getting the best out in a, in a different formation. I think Adi Hertha is changing a lot of things at the club, which is good, certainly for the better. And we saw a wonderful Minamino at the weekend, scored two goals and assisted the third one for Benier there. So really good stuff from Monaco. They, they, they've been clever in the recruitment. Uh, they lost some big players, of course, like Disassi who went to, to Chelsea. Uh, but Fofana is still there, Kamara is still there too, and they've signed uh, Wilfried, the, the, the Avarian centre-back, who looks really good. So they, they, they are doing well, and Denis Zakaria, who was a flop at Chelsea, let's be honest, is looking very promising for them too. So very interesting stuff. Very nice. Uh, they are top. PSG are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 11th, Jules. 11! I'm going to say something. My guilty pleasure of the season is going to be Jules talking about Luis Enrique. I don't know why, but I anticipate oh, that. I, I'm looking I'm, forward to it so much. I'm, I'm, I've always been a Lucha fan. For now. For now, <laughs> yeah. That Spanish bloke, 
The, the Asturian. The Spanish. The Asturian guy. Tribune Bristaton. Le pied gauche d'Abouklat qui le met, qui le transforme et qui fait rugir le stadium. L'égalisation de Toulouse. 87e minute de jeu. Le stadium qui explose littéralement. So, Nilna with Laurie on the opening weekend. This time around a 1-1 with Toulouse. This despite the fact that Mbappé came off the bench to score a penalty nine minutes after making his entrance. Uh, let me guess, uh, lots of possession, not much end product. Was it that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Lorient, as we said last week, they had 939 uh, passes that they made. This time it was a bit less. I think it was just under 700. There was still some positive stuff this time, but Mbappé and Dembélé who came on just after the, the break, uh, after 50 minutes, changed everything as you would expect from players of that quality. Still was not enough because... Hakimi gave away a stupid penalty right at the end and, and Toulouse scored and, and they got a point. But there are reasons to be a bit worried because of how sterile they can be at times with all the ball and the possession. I get that. But I think Mbappé and Dembélé are going to change this team massively. And, and I think there's also a lot of promises in the way they are starting to move the ball that in such a short amount of time, clearly, and recent Ricky has already implemented these ideas. And again, you, can, you cannot agree with these ideas and the methods. But I think it's pretty impressive when a coach in such a short time already has a stamp on what the team is doing and, and the style of football that they're playing. So they will get better. They will improve. They need to get Gonzalo Ramos some chances for him to score. But Mbappe and Dembele coming back and getting full fitness very soon is a huge boost. Okay. Another Spanish manager who's come in and is turning things around is Marcelino at Marseille. Things not going too well there either no, uh, draw same. this weekend with Mets and also last week getting knocked out of the Champions League qualifiers yeah on penalties against Panathinaikos which was really bad it's bad for French football in general not to have a chance there was still another there was the playoff to follow after that uh, so Marseille would not have qualified straight away but it would have been good for them to try to get there it, it won't be the case uh, they will hopefully go into the Europa League but I mean, Marcelino, you can have a new manager. The problem is half of the team has changed already. Aubameyang has arrived. Iliman Ndiaye has arrived from Sheffield United. Ismail Assar has arrived from Watford. So they've had a lot of players coming in and, and some of the leaving. Kondogbia is there. So it's, it's just taking a bit of time. But against Mesh, they started well. They were good for the first half. And then I don't know what happened in the second half. Maybe they got tired, but they completely disappeared. And a game that was... Uh, that will be remembered because Kevin Endoram, the Mess player, said at halftime on French television that Mess were playing like a uh, user gay slur, basically, to describe his team's performance, which I think is going to get heavily banned for, and rightly so. Uh, but overall, it was still not good enough for Marseille, and they will be, again, big games to play. PSG playing Lens next week, but Marseille will play Brest, who are top of the league as well, with Monaco after two wins in two games. So... I'm a little bit worried for Marseille in the way that Marcelino will need a bit of time, I think, to get his 4-4-2 to play well because it's such a complete different style of football to what Tudor did last season. Tough season ahead then. Uh, Jules, what else should we talk about from uh, the second weekend of Ligue 1? That we saw the last, of, the last game of Jeremy Doku, of course, with Rennes, where Lance, a good 1-1 draw, he came, on, uh, he came on in the second half and obviously he's on his way to Manchester City now. For 60 million euros, it's, it's a big move for him. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of money paid when three years ago he cost Ren half of that. For someone who scored two, 12 goals in 92 games, I think it was, they, they still need to improve a lot in his end product and what he does with the ball in terms of assists and, and goal scored. But the potential is incredible. So if Pep can fulfill that potential, he's only 21 years old. There's a wonderful player there. He just needs to get better in the 
in the last third of the pitch. Hmm. Well, that sounds positive. Uh, unlike uh, the start of the season, the Olympic Lyon have been making jewels. Incredible, James. Two defeats in the first two games. They were, I mean, battered by Montpellier at the Groupama Stadium on on Saturday, 4-1. They were 4-0 f- down, uh, 3-0 down and then 4-1 down. Uh, Moussa Altamari, the uh, Jordanian Messi, who's doing wonderful things for Montpellier. He's a wonderful player, really left-footed, scored two goals, assisted one. What a great signing for Montpellier after, after coming on a free from Belgium. Uh, but for Lyon, it's just it's just a catastrophe, really. The crisis that they're in, Laurent Blanc not happy there, not having the signing that he wants. The club really being in absolute chaos. Like I said, got sent off too, that doesn't help. He will probably miss the PSG game the following week um, because he's going to get too much ban at least, I think. So really, really bad. And if you count the preseason friendlies that they had, four of them, they lost them all. Ooh. So it's six defeats in a row now. Yikes. For Lyon, so uh, I don't know if they're going to sack Blanc now. Uh, John Textor, the, the the owner, who I I really don't think he has any idea of what to do and how to run a club like that because there are really a shambles everywhere on the pitch, off the pitch, in the recruitment area, everywhere, and and that's not looking good at all for them. They're in the bottom two, Jules. Yeah. And obviously, we're only two games into uh, this season, but uh, yeah, are the prospects there for them to turn this around? Do you think? I mean, the players are still good, Barcola, Cherki, Lacazette, all yeah. of that. But I, I don't know. I, th- I think you can't just rely on young players or someone like Lacazette to get you out of the hole that they're in. Mm. I think you need more of that. You need more of unity in that club, a, a, a clear direction of where you want to go and how you're going to get there. And they don't have that at all. And I know they wanted to get rid of Jean-Michel Olas last season, and they did. The problem is, clearly now, there's nobody running that club. And, and it's a huge club. And now the... I think the signs are really, really bad for them. Yeah. All right. Well, keep an eye on that. For now, though, let's leave Ligue 1 there and finish off next time with our salute to Italian coaching great Carlo Mazzoni. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, James, sad news then this week uh, that uh, Carlo Mazzoni passing away at the age of 86 after a 40-year career, mainly at smaller sides there was Roma in there there was Fiorentina as well he didn't win much although I was stunned to see that he actually picked up an Intertoto trophy along the way well well done to him but despite that he was one of the biggest figures in Italian but one of the most dearly loved especially in the southern end of things can you can you sum up why he meant so much well you mentioned that he for the most part played or coached uh, smaller clubs. I mean, he's very associated with uh, Roma because he's from Rome. Uh, he's from Trastevere, which is one of the most kind of quintessentially Roman parts um, of the city. And, you know, when he was uh, coaching, uh, he was the guy, he didn't give Totti his debut, but he was the, pl- he was the coach who made Totti uh, feel at ease and comfortable within the team and, and sort of really established him in the first team. Um, and he was a he was a protector of him, and I, I think it's uh, one of the things is, is a lot of people say it feels like a cliche, but that he was a second father to them. And you look at the people who say that he was a second father to them. There's obviously Totti. Then at uh, Bologna, there's uh, Beppe Signori. Uh, I was at the Bologna Milan game, and there was a big uh, striscione uh, banners in the in the curva Bulgarelli kind of uh, in tribute to him because he was coach of Bologna three times. And whilst on one occasion he took them down, another occasion he took them to the Intertoto Cup semi-finals, which was again sort of 
Intertoto specialist, uh, Carlo Mazzone. And then, of course, uh, at Brescia, he had Baggio mm. and, uh, and Guardiola. And, you know, Guardiola was uh, obviously appeared uh, after uh, City's game against, what was it, Newcastle at the weekend with this T-shirt, which had um, Mazzone and Pioveni, one of the, um, the, the directors at Brescia. Uh, Pioveni trying to stop uh, Mazzone from from going out and celebrating under the Atalanta Curva because this was Brescia Atalanta, which is one of the the lesser known rivalries mm. um, in uh, in Syria. Pretty and pretty well known in 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 Italy, and that incident yeah. that that so many people have have referenced uh, Pep on his T-shirt, but a lot of other people as well. So I guess it's the standout image for all the amazing things that he did, and he did do amazing things. Mazzone, you talked about his time with with Totti there, also the guy who first moved Pirlo into that deep lying position which he subsequently uh, so excelled at but just a, a, a fantastic man uh, he was a bit of a philosopher even though being about as kind of casareccio as you were likely a person to to meet very kind of homespun but uh, it's some great quotes from him uh, one in particular says uh, uh, la tecnica è il pane dei ricchi la tactica è il pane dei poveri so technique is what the rich clubs live on the small clubs live on tactics and and he brought so much of that to to the the various sides, the countless sides that he he managed. Yeah. D- but to go back to the derby, September two thousand and one, because maybe people are thinking, well, so what was special so special about that? Yeah, I mean, so Bergamo and Brescia are really close to each other. What are they about fifty kilometers apart? Yeah, and Brescia is is the hometown of Roberto Di Zerbi, and so for Di Zerbi, this was a uh, yeah he wasn't involved, but as a, a Bresciano, this was uh, it's a big part of their identity as a. Um, a civic identity, but also the identity that, of, of the team, because this has gone down in folklore. Really. Right. Probably the most famous uh, Brescia-Atalanta match ever. It was September 2001, uh, huge game, like about a thousand years of rivalry between these two cities. Brescia take the lead. Roberto Baggio uh, putting the ball past to Massimo Taibi. I don't know if you call him the Atalanta. Blind Venetian. <laughs> Blind Venetian. Anyway... Um, Lots of Brescia celebrations, but by the half-time whistle, they're 3-1 down, and the Atlanta fans are giving it all that because Mazzoni, for them, is guilty on two counts. He's Brescia manager, but he's also Roman, so there's lots of uh, Romano di Merda and uh, Fili di Butano and all that, and Mazzoni's having none of that. He's You can see him on the bench seething away. Anyway, 75th minute, Baggio takes the ball down on his chest, spins and shoots before Taibi has a chance to react, and it's 2-1. And Mazzoni famously looks towards the curva and says, Emosse famo il 3 a 3, vengo lì sotto di voi. If we do the, if we equalize, I'm coming over there. Last kick of the game. Roberto Baggio has the free kick. And off he goes. Probably the second most famous run in Italian football after that one in the 82 World Cup. Yeah, and <laughs> the funny thing is, is that Pierluigi Colina, arguably the most iconic referee, was was refereeing that day, and uh, you know, sort of when Mazzoni is sort of coming back to the sideline, he sees Colina coming over to him, and he and he knows what's coming, so he just says, "Butto me fuori, me lo merito, lo sa, lo sa," <laughs> like this sort of is like. Yeah, send me off. I know I'm going. It's fine, and that sort of thing. And so, uh, again, um, yeah, just that. 
It, it looked it, like it, a it, nature documentary or something. This six-year-old guy in a tracksuit, like an angry rhino, thundering down in slow yeah. motion <laughs> towards these Bergamaschi and and just swatting away anyone who was trying to stop him. Well, it was glorious yeah. stuff. And yeah, yeah you got a five-game ban for that. There is another lovely anecdote in one of the obituaries um, where I think when he was coach of Roma, there was uh, Amadeo Carboni was the the fullback, and he was playing on the sideline where uh, where Mazzoni was was coaching, and he kept going forward, and uh, <laughs> Mazzoni shouts over to him like, uh, "Carboni, how many games have you played in Serie A?" And he's like, 300 And uh, Mazzoni then says, "How many goals have you scored? Three. And the man says, well, get back there. I don't want to see you anymore going forward. Stop it. <laughs> so, Good progressive just, management. Uh, um, yeah, that like, day, by the way, the, Atalanta, the Brescia-Atalanta game, that was the day that uh, Guardiola arrived in, in Brescia to start with his new club. And, uh, yeah, bewildering. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, we're just talking about the progressive tactics. I mean, the thing is with Mazzone, is he was a player that every number 10 wanted to play for. Um, in an era when, because there was Arrigo Sacchi's 4-4-2, there wasn't a role for these guys. You know, Gianfranco Zola had to go and play in England in order to be the player that he wanted to be. Roberto Baggio was, you know, shackled and, you know, mostly kind of quite unhappy playing um, for these teams that were all run by Sacchi's disciples. And Mazzoni was the guy who was like, you know, you're my guy. Um, but with, with Guardiola, another kind of, you know, measure of who Mazzoni is, Brescia said, look, we're, we're signing Guardiola. And Mazzoni was like, no, no. <laughs> I've told this guy, Giunti, that uh, he's going to play in that position uh, for us this year. I've given him my word. And, you know, my word is my bond. I don't break it. Um, so he was initially resistant that they'd gone out and signed Guardiola. And then obviously um, was, was very, very happy to have Pep. And, you know, Pep invited him to his first Champions League final in Rome when Barcelona beat Man United um, and, you know, claims to have learned a lot, um, you know, from, from Mazzone. So, um, yeah, just, it, 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 yeah, you, you count the, the legends that have kind of paid tribute to him and the kind of players that they were. And it really does speak volumes for Caletto mm. Mazzone. As he, as he said, when he saluted Roma, his, his boyhood club when he got fired by Franco Sensi after three seasons there. A bittersweet moment for him and he went and then he supposedly said to the team, boys, we didn't win anything. <laughs> boy, the laughs we had. Yeah, we didn't win anything, but boy, the laughs we had. Yeah. Amazing. Anyway, Carlo Mazzoni. That, that brings us to the end of today's Totally Football Show. Many thanks, Joel, for being with us. We will return in some way, shape or form next Tuesday. We'll have a lot to talk about then, no doubt. But for now, Alvaro, many thanks to you, Jules, James, Rafa, and you, listener, and producer Charlie. Catch up with you soon. Bye-bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.